like you say, risk management and all of that, it's really important that corporates also operate in a way they do in some degree, especially in an industry like aerospace, where it's so much about safety and actually, you know, re regulations and things. You don't want an MVP plane, do you? <laughs> <laughs> But for a good reason, you yeah. know. Um, so I think that it's, it's a balance there to some degree. That was the voice of Gabby Matic, our guest this week on the show. Gabby is a successful entrepreneur turned director of an aerospace accelerator and Stephen and I got a chance to talk with her about, amongst other things, innovation in aerospace and iterating with hardware, industrial ecosystems reinventing themselves and whether incumbents should aspire to move at the speed of startups. You're listening to Startup Vacation, a podcast about technology with me, Matt Ferugia, and my co-host Stephen Drost. You can find out more about us, browse all the episodes and view the show notes at startupvacation.fm. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi Stephen, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Matt? I am very well. I'm very well today. We have a special guest, uh, Gabby Matic today. Gabby, uh, I'll just give you a little intro and then you can say hello. Gabby's the program director of the ATI Boeing Accelerator, and that's a program for startups who are building solutions for the UK aerospace industry. Uh, and obviously, uh, you've been doing that for a bit. You've also previously run other accelerators, done a lot of work promoting inclusion programs for underrepresented founders. Uh, you're an active member of a number of female founder groups. Um, and prior to all that, you co-founded a product startup, MindMate, where you were the CMO, and that grew from zero to 50,000 users before it got sold to the NHS. So, wow, that's a lot of stuff, Gabby. Welcome. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you, guys. I'm happy to be here. Great, great, fantastic. So, listen, I am uh, I'm dead keen to talk about uh, the work you're doing with the Boeing Accelerator. It's just Boeing is such a kind of romantic <laughs> thing in my mind. I don't know why. It kind of seems, seems futuristic, although that's maybe a kind of 1950s hang-up I have. But I guess you're going to tell us it is futuristic. So let's, let's start at the top. I'm kind of fascinated with the relationship between industry and innovation. So tell us, kind of, first of all, what, what, what bits of aerospace is your accelerator covering and what sort of innovation is going on in aerospace? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so... Our accelerator is the ATI Boeing Accelerator and um, has been, well, created by, first of all, the Aerospace Technology Institute. So it's truly an industry-wide um, program. And yes, Boeing is our platinum sponsor. So a, they were there from day one and they were also the sponsor that's involved kind of closest. Um, and we also have some other sponsors like GKN Aerospace and Rolls-Royce. Um, we... Well, this is a very young prog program, so we've launched last year, um, so we are about to run our second program. Um, but for me, I think coming from um, sort of different industries and different programs, seeing how much this seems to be needed in the aerospace industry and how big the demand really is on the startup side was really, really exciting. Um, so uh, for this upcoming program, we have a very, very strong sustainability focus. I think um, even though um, the industry and the world, I guess, is struggling um, this year, particularly for obvious reasons, um, there will be a point where, you know, people go back to traveling and people will want to fly again. And um, when we get there and we come out at the other end of the pandemic, um, the biggest challenge I think the industry is trying to tackle is the the the, the sustainability challenge um, so basically you know getting that zero carbon emissions goal by 2050 um, and that's coming closer quite quickly and it's a big goal to achieve so for us it was really important to address that um, so we're looking at um, sustainability in different aspects so for one you've got your more typical sustainable life cycle side of things so horrible world but uh, cradle to grave basically kind of approach of really really making sure you understand throughout the whole manufacturing process and beyond where materials come from um, but also how best to work with them um, in a sustainable way um, and that's basically kind of the kind of more standard sustainability I guess aspect but then there's the whole big bucket of industry four as well um, which we're still very very interested in um, as long as there is some sort of sustainability aspect to it so that could be you know reducing time to market and reducing costs in some way so at this um, in this application process there was a lot around you know marketplace procure procurement um lots and lots of supply chain analytics which you always get through quite a lot i think mm -hmm. that's maybe one of the biggest i4 buckets that we 
usually have. But also a lot about productivity, um, workplace and safety, um, a lot of things that, you know, in some way or the other can actually really, really substantially play into the sustainability aspect of a big corporation like Boeing or GKN Aerospace. Um, and then we've also looked at the energy side of it. Um, so things like battery and fuel systems and um, optimized energy systems um, and management um, are something that we've been looking at for this upcoming cohort. So big bucket, <laughs> but um, definitely a strong sustainability focus and angle. Wow, it's, to it's totally fascinating. I mean, Stephen, you, 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 you come across these kind of um, how do we get how do we sort of interrelate with startups all the time? And it's, this is really fascinating. What's, what's your take on this? Yeah, this is super fascinating. So Gabby, my, uh, my bias in talking about these things is normally always to go to a kind of paradigm setup that talks about sustaining innovations and disruptive innovations. Um, and what, what it fascinates me about what you're talking about, um, and I'm talking to some energy companies as well about similar things, is, you know, if you think about um, sustaining innovations, they're normally focused around productivity gains and things like that. Um, and if you look at disruptive things, it's about, you know, coming up with brand new things. And the thing that fascinates me about energy or, or indeed air travel, it seems as well, is that whole sustainability piece. And it's, what fascinates me is that it's an additional bit that's not quite captured by sustaining innovations. It's not quite captured by disruptive ones. Um, and the thing that's exciting, um, if you know, if you're in this game for a, for a while, is, or I don't think there's that many playbooks for sustainability. Um, maybe you have a different view. On, no, you're. I can see you're <laughs> nodding your head in agreement. Um, so I think I think it's interesting because um, when we don't have playbooks there, um, it, it's just kind of exciting to try and come up with some new ones, and, and there's a big opportunity. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Um, I don't think there are playbooks. I think it's the interesting thing about this and why I'm also really excited about working with companies in the space now. Um, there's so much to it. I think sustainability isn't yeah. a simple goal as such. Um, it's it, it also has to do, well, it has to do with technology, obviously, that's what we're talking about. But not only with that, it also has to do with the human side and a company's culture and how they, you know, decide to build um, and run their business. Um, and I think that's where kind of the culture shift is happening. And we've been talking about sustainability and you both probably know this for years and years before I've been um, even close to this industry, I'm sure. Um, but now we get to a point where just sending the signals and just sort of doing things for marketing's sake are just not mm. enough. You really, mm. really have to start making real progress. And, and mm. that's why it's such a great space for startups because those big corporates really, really need that disruption. They need smaller, more agile companies to help them and, and show them how to really, really make a difference and a change. It, I'm fascinated with the idea of like a Rolls Royce, right? So which has, you know, like the pedigree, the, the, the industrial manufacturing pedigree in this, in this country. What, 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 how do they self... Like what, what? When they look in the mirror, do they do they not see innovators? Like what? What? What's their relationship with startups? Is is it that we can't do this, or it's like you know we want to move faster, or diversity of thinking? Like you you work quite closely with them. That's the the thing that's interesting about your accelerators. You work closely with Boring or or JKN or Rolls Royce. And how do they think about themselves as innovators, or do they not? Yeah, um, they definitely do. I mean, I can't speak for Rolls Royce, but what I see. Um, or what I, what I can see from working with them and the way they engage with our startups. Um, I think this is more about, yes, speed. So actually, you know, moving faster um, than, than, you know, the industry is used to moving. And also good point around um, diversity. Um, in general, you know, it, it makes such a difference to have a more diverse, you know, in all the way, ways you can understand the word diverse um, input in, in innovation, because only that way we can really, really challenge the existing kind of pre-assumptions and, and things that, you know, are very, very ingrained in these very traditional industries. Do you think um, like big external things like carbon neutrality and, and re, you know, hard stop real world metrics and goals 
um, have helped accelerate this 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 openness of those industries, or do you think it maybe might be they've seen other industries be disrupted or be challenged, and they can maybe copy those other industries, or they see there's a stronger narrative at play? Have you have you got an opinion on that? Um, I think the hard metrics definitely help, um, but also there is some industries um, kind of adjacent or, or similar, I guess, if you look at, for example, automotive, um, that in some aspects, you know, might be further advanced um, than, than aerospace. And I think that helps because for us, for example, for this program, um, we are very open to startups that might um, have their origin in different industries. So they might not be a startup that has actually started in aerospace. They might come from, you know, automotive oil and gas i don't know any of those and and that's really interesting because they might have already tested what they're building somewhere else where you know the input of that industry is really really valuable to aerospace i've been involved in a an industrial um accelerator um sort of peripherally in the past and and the thing that 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 one that was in real and, and what it did really well was they had business units come and, and, and present problems uh, for startups to go and solve. So it wasn't kind of innovation in isolation. It was here's the actual business problem and have at it uh, what the answers could be. Is that is that kind of, you know, if you were to sort of make a, a, a and there probably isn't a sort of checklist for a successful industry centric accelerator. But if you were if you were to think about it, what makes for from the for, for the accelerator and the partners and the startups perspective, what makes for a successful one of these? Yeah. I think number one for me on both sides is the objective. Um, so there's so many different programs out there, um, lots of them, you know, calling themselves accelerators um, and might actually be something very, very different. But the objective is what's really, really important. So on the corporate side, you know, what are they actually trying to achieve? Is this at this instant more of a PI exercise or are they really, really trying to move things along? Um, and for us, I think that was something we, we could totally feel with our sponsors because they are really, really taking this seriously and wanting to work with startups and finding ways to do that. They're also engaged from day one, from basically the moment the applications come in. And those conversations um, internally in the, in the business units and also kind of in for Boeing, it's the investment arm that we work with too. Um, we have those conversations months before the program even starts because what we want to do is make sure that all companies we chose in December, um, so the final 10, that all of them have you know, realistic opportunities for commercial, um, some commercial outcomes or commercial opportunities. Um, and that's where the goal for the startups comes in. You know, Usually it's access to you know, big corporates or the network and things like that. Um, I think it's really important to make sure that we are realistically also delivering on that. Um, and obviously, I mean, it's just, it's not just on the corporates, it's also on the startup. So making sure the startup is ready to take a relationship um, to the next stage like that. Um, do they actually have a good idea around use cases? Do they actually, you know, understand really, really deeply understand the industry and, and, you know, what the needs are? Or are they kind of still sort of guessing and floating about? And that's where the mismatch happens, where you have programs where you might have really, really exciting corporates that, you know, just don't get to the results they're hoping because the startups that they get put in front of aren't quite ready yet. Or at the other side, you might have corporates that are great, but internally could use a little bit more work to actually learn, you know, how to work with startups. Um, both of those, I think, are really, really important to get right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there's a there's a kind of there's a kind of way of expressing that. I guess is um, an old adage that says startups don't know how to sell, but corporates don't know how to buy. Um, and, and, and in a sense, I think those programs. Um, are well. What's your view on this? I I tend to think they're as successful in as much as they understand that that problem because it's a communication part that happens on both ends. You kind of have to, you know, tell startups all the things you just mentioned. You know, you got to focus and understand and genuinely, you know, be interested and see how your thing could map into that particular thing. You know, do some cust customer exploration, really work it out, but at the same time help with sort of corporate navigation on the other side and say, you know, you can't just have ch endless conversations and chats with those people and get them to build a small proof of concept thing that's, you know, 
250k or whatever it may be and then never talk to them again so i think i think that that part's um really really hard and really key um but you also mentioned another part um that made my sort of ears prick up when you said that um from the boeing side you're working with a ventures team does that mean that um who, who are the main drivers is it, is it a sort of internal is it a cvc or is it a corporate ventures team is the main driver or where does it sit so our first point of contact is um, basically the Boeing Horizon X Ventures um, uh, leader here in the UK. So she okay. is the person on the ground working with us day to day, also because of time zones, obviously, because she's actually based in um, Northern Ireland. And um, yeah, it's really, really good to have her because she also comes from a startup space. Um, so what I've noticed um, with that is that she really, really understands not only the bottlenecks internally in Boeing, but also the, the you know, importance of timing and time pressure for startups. And then basically, uh, because of the way the program is structured, so the teams get a hundred thousand point, the teams get a hundred thousand pound um, investments structured as a safe note from Boeing Horizon X Ventures. Um, and that's basically the first kind of point where we're like, okay, is this an interesting investment for um, the ventures team? And from there, it sort of spreads out internally. So for every um, bucket and every theme we're working in, the ones I mentioned earlier, we have people internally in Boeing who are champions and who um, talk to those applicants and those startups to figure out if there is a good space for them internally. Um, and I think that's basically what, what's really important. But you're right. It's really, really hard to get right because um, just, you know, the, the difference from kind of program one to two, we also had lots and lots of learnings to improve that process. And although in program one already we had some really, really great outcomes, I think the importance of, you know, it's not just the champion that needs to be excited. The champion needs to be able to communicate internally yeah, and make yeah. everyone else excited too. It's a really, yeah. really, really key thing that I think often is missing. Yeah, I so, you know, the reason this podcast is called Startupification is based on a kind of um, a thought um, that says, if you want to look at innovation, you'll have to startupify your existing um, organization, right? And... Um, and the more we thought about that, we sort of realized that was relevant for sort of middle management. So, you know, all that kind of Amazon stuff, like two, two pizza teams and, you know, being agile and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the, the bit that really interests me is that if you look at startupification in, in isolation within a large company, it never really works because the crucial bit that's missing is why you know, I was called, it's a, it's a bad way of saying it, but uh, VCification. So you need like <laughs> senior management. I, what can I say, man? Um, you need senior management to kind of go, okay, if you guys are going to use startup playbooks and tactics and language and all that kind of stuff and culture, um, none of that's going to do anything or, or be, you know, more than some kind of weird signaling if there's not also a kind of higher up echelon that has bought into some kind of risk management understanding of venture capital. Um, so what fascinates me is that, I guess one of the expressions of that is that internally then there's these teams that are, you know, whatever they're called, ventures or, you know, some venture something. Um, and, I, and, and I guess that those are the people you're working with and they'll probably subscribe to, to that kind of thinking. Um, do you have a view on, on how how new that thinking is or how established it is in, in large organizations? Well, I think it varies wildly. Um, mm. And I think it really comes down to the individuals. The more I think big corporates actually open the doors to um, more entrepreneurial individuals and that thinking, the more they will sort of, you know, get used to that to some degree. But on the other hand, I think the, the like you say, risk management and all of that, it's really important that corporates also operate in a way they do in some degree, especially in an industry like aerospace where it's so much about safety and actually, you know, um, re regulations and things are... You don't want an MVP plane, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but for a good reason, you know. Um, yeah. So I think that it's, it's a balance there to some degree. And I think that's another thing because why I said it also goes both ways. Um, as much as I think corporates can do a lot to learn how to work with startups um, the same way startups have to um, you know 
yeah, it's, I've been a founder myself. I know um, if you have like a big client that you're talking to, this, that's your life, you know, you notice if they haven't emailed you back for a day, you notice if they haven't emailed <laughs> you back for an hour and it's yeah. kind of front of your mind constantly. For that particular yeah. person in the big corporation, it, it won't be. Um, but as long as they, you know, I'm taking the piss, I don't know if I'm yeah. allowed to say that. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, I think it's all about the balance to some degree. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just, just going to say, like, that, that whole... Here's my kind of view, and it's a founder's view, so it's, it's, it's definitely biased. But I, I think, I mean, there's more than this to, to the way the startup thinks, but to some extent, you could be quite reductive and say the startup really wants an order. I mean, that's, that's what they're, tr they're trying to get to. And there's rules of engagement that I think you can help corporates, big companies, uh, be a good citizen in that journey and, like, not killing them during a massively long procurement is probably rule, rule number one. But the thing that I'm kind of struggling a little bit with is, look, beyond that that product, uh, that, the, sorry, that, that order, what the startup really wants is to build a business. And th that's the thing that I kind of, I can't quite work out how accelerators are supposed to handle that challenge. And maybe maybe having people come in and put money in as investors is the thing because it's quite hard to be a customer and an investor. Because to some extent, when you're the customer, right, you want the thing to exist and you want to buy it, but you don't, you don't really, you don't really, I mean, you care to some extent that the, that, that, that business still still exists and can, can supply you ongoing, but you don't want to shoulder the burden of making this startup risky journey a success. I mean, that's not what you buy into as as the purchaser. So how, how do you... You know, Gabby, that's the thing I don't really get. What do you say to you know to the to the big companies who are coming in here? Is like it's your responsibility to birth all these new successful, you know, startups who are going to eat your lunch in twenty years, or like how, how does that even work? That's not quite the wording we use. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, with Boeing, we obviously we have the venture kind of perspective too, because for them it's investments as well as it is um, um, working with those startups. So that's obviously different. But for everyone else, I think um, as much as they only want to work with the startups and kind of um, make sure they get the innovation out of it, I've also seen it be a two-sided way of learning. So a lot of the corporates can take away quite a lot um, by you know, working closely with startups, um, you know, whether that's culture or, you know, little bits and pieces. I've got one anecdote, actually, I'd like to share, um, which, you know, blew my mind slightly. Um, it was peak COVID time. And one of our sponsors, GKN Aerospace, they got involved into the um, COVID response, the UK's COVID response. Response. Um, the, vent the ventilator challenge was the project they were basically supporting. And I mean, the whole undertaking was quite impressive and, and, and incredible to watch because suddenly um, corporates that are used to, you know, what they used to, were forced to move a lot quicker than usual. And we're talking days and weeks rather than months and years. Um, and what happened in this particular case was they got in touch with one of the teams on our program that they had been working with. And the team, very startup um, typical, basically went away and built this thing over the weekend um, that um, helped kind of with inspection and, and, and testing of, of the um, uh, products that they were um, producing. And seeing that come together in such a you know, quick turnaround and actually both really taking away a lot from it, um, I found really exciting. I mean, obviously the reason why they had to isn't exciting. Hopefully we won't quite get into a situation like that. But it showed a really, really big traditional corporate, co corporate that it's possible. It really, really, you know, resulted in that mind shift. And I think if big companies like that take that away and use it, you know, for the next challenge, which is sustainability, they can, you know, achieve a lot more in, in a very, very quick amount of time. And obviously it's going to be a long process, but still it's... It's something to aspire, I guess, if nothing else. Um, not quite sure I answered your question. Let me just think about what you thought. <laughs> no, I, I, th I, thought, I, th I thought that was a good answer because I, 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 if I understood you right, I, I think the, the venture, the involvement of some kind of articulation of venture risk understanding is the key bit that answers your question, Matt, I think, that says, you know, we're not just going to become a customer. We're, we're going to go that extra mile to help those companies come about as companies 
But the way we'll do that is not as a customer, it's as an investor. And to do that, we'll create a slightly separate thing. Um, and that's why I was asking you earlier um, how you see that world. And, and I take your answer to that, which is that it's super varied and dependent on, on individuals. I, I do take that as a kind of sign that that whole space is very emergent still. It's not really, I, I just don't think it's there yet. And Gabby, I wonder if you, wonder what your thoughts are on this. Um, I, I think about this stuff a lot and and what, what I, I think that one way you can help normalize that, that understanding of risk or, or the necessity for some kind of ventures thing is A, you say, hey, you need to create this because there's going to be more and more startups. Uh, and, and, you know, there's also, you know, let's be honest, there's going to be a lot of incumbents that are going to die. Um, so the way for you to weather that storm and also hire all the best people in the future and all that kind of stuff, it's just crucial that you somehow work out how to engage with them. Um, and so that's a kind of cornerstone kind of moment. Um, the additional bit, that I find intriguing, and, and I just don't know how to do this. I'm, I really am racking my brain, so I'd love your, your thoughts on this, is I think the next thing that's needed is that you have to create some kind of community around the existing companies. Because I think there's tons and tons and tons of community building for startups. There's meetups galore and blog posts and podcasts and God knows what. But for the corporate space, I think it doesn't really exist. Have, have you got any thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, that's so, so, so important. Um, I mean, yes, uh, before working on this accelerator, I ran programs for the Ignite accelerator. So on the startup side, obviously, you know, building ecosystems in different parts of the UK um, was something that we did day to day. And seeing that come together was really exciting. But you're right, on the corporate side, it's it's hard. And what I really liked about this program is the, the overall, I would almost say, strategy because it is an industry encompassing program and we're adding sponsors as we go, you have lots and lots of those um, um, really, really big corporates starting to work with each other um, where they maybe wouldn't have that closely previously. Um, and I think more and more of that needs to happen. We're obviously still early days, it's only been a year, but I think for that year, we've managed to have a pretty impressive collection of those really big players here in the UK. Um, more like that needs to happen. It's really, really important. Also I... for startups, it will help on the other end as well. Because very often, you know, if you have a startup pitch someone big like Boeing because they think that's where they would fit in, very often they, they don't. Very often um, through an sure. accelerator like ours, they very quickly recognize, ooh, no, I really don't want to work with Boeing <laughs> because it's way too hard. Or um, I fit a lot better with one of their suppliers and that's actually mm. the route I should be going down. But if you don't have that um, communication among all the you know parties, it's really hard to um, send the startup on the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed. I, I, uh, the way my thinking on this works is that I look at I look at what's happened in the valley, and I look for sort of key metaphors and see if we can drag them across into this new space or old space. Um, and one of the sort of key words you have in, in Silicon Valley to describe how um, co-incumbents kind of refer to each other or relate to each other is um, the word frenemy where they're not quite they're not quite friends they're not quite enemies but I, I find it really um, instructive and helpful to talk to incumbents and say you know um, when when iOS was released uh, you only had Google Maps you know and and, and Google and Apple had to kind of come together as kind of frenemies to make that thing happen. Um, you know, it went, it developed in a very different way going forward, but you start to see, you know, things like frenemies or open source or, or those kind of metaphors and, and moments to describe how a cohort of existing companies um, can actually start to, to, to relate to each other. Um, do, do you think that makes sense? Yeah, no, I agree. That's a that's an interesting <laughs> phrase to use. Um, I haven't heard it before, but it's definitely accurate for a lot of them. I mean, uh, see, here's here's a, ca a counter argument to that, Stephen. Right, so okay. that that stuff all works where where you can kind of compose together a solution stack and software, but a lot of the stuff that's happening in industry is physical stuff be, being being built, and and actually the whole. 
you know, we we talked about the, that Mark Andreessen, it's time to build uh, ep, um, essay, you know, a f- number of episodes ago. Um, and he has he has this bit in it where he goes like, where where are the giant gleaming state of the art factories producing every conceivable kind of product at the highest possible quality and lowest possible cost all throughout our country? And he means America. Um, and I mean, his whole thing is that we don't desire that. That's not something that we want. But but the, I, I'm not even sure they're, you know. Like, is it, can we map all those things that are from software directly into into that kind of physical industrial world? It is, I mean, I, I'm not that up to speed on what in, on Industry 4.0 is trying to, it's trying to do. It sounds pretty cool, but, um, you know, I mean, Gabby is, are we trying to move faster in, in physical production? Are we trying to innovate? Are we trying to iterate? I mean, I can get, I can pull a couple of like really good examples or outlier examples of where they have, but I'm, I'm not sure that's a general movement. Is that what Industry 4.0 is about, or is it just about kind of smart intelligence from your machines? Um, so from an aerospace perspective of what we've seen happen in the industry, I mean, both are obviously happening. Um, the more kind of traditional Industry 4 um, um, manufacturing side of it um we in the program we do focus more on the software side um for multiple reasons one is that you know in a three-month program it's not really very realistic to be able to implement anything hardware um into a big corporation like that um and i think now more than ever there is a place for that um because you can do a lot and you can innovate a lot on the software side to actually just optimize those existing kind of machines and 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 processes and we've seen it um a lot in applications you know um one thing that i've noticed um there's a lot more you know low cost and modular technology that people have applied with rather than the kind of all encompassing big solutions which is exactly what the industry needs because the industry you know is also trying to save costs to some degree so having something you can test very quickly without having to you know adapt the whole stack of technology and you know change the whole thing up um makes it a lot easier a for the startup to get you know get a foot in the door but also for the corporates to make difference make a difference you know slowly but surely with these like little software tweaks and 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 changes do you think then maybe that that software, those productivity, efficiency, sustainability gains that they can provide are kind of the moments that can abide the time for the incumbents to do the big, let's call it R&D or something on, on sort of big material science, big building hardware stuff? Is that one way to sort of contextualize the, 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 the point of startups in that, in that equation? Um, yeah. Um, well, on the material side, that is still something that is very, very um, kind of hard uh, or not hard. That's that's still something that um, startups try to do a lot with, but also corporates, um, mm. you know, are really keen to get startups inside in because, you know, whether that's finding new materials or things like that, historically, um, big corporates need years and years to do, you know, a very, very little thing where startups... Mm with software as well, to some degree, have found a way of doing it a lot quicker. Um, you know, whether that's around product design or actually manufacturing as such. For me, I, I'm not sure if it's more of a buying time. I feel like it's finally feeling more like innovation is being seriously considered because it's seriously yeah. being implemented, even if it's small things that, you know, affect a small part of the production line or whatever it might be. Um, rather than, you know, being very resistant and um, relying on the things you have been using for years and years um, until, you know, there's this one thing that everyone has already tested and, okay, we can try it. Um, I think there is a lot more openness around that. Maybe, yeah, no, that, that, yeah, that makes a lot more sense than what I was saying. Um, do you think it's maybe a, a kind of invitation to looking at iteration in a different way? Sometimes I think that if I, the bigger, it's almost like some mystical truth or so that the bigger an organization is, the less inclined they are to iterate and the more you have to kind of, whenever you want to build something new, you have to kind of at least somehow pretend it's going to be a success. Let, let me be, I'm going to be deliberately provocative. Sometimes it strikes me that big existing things, if you want to build a new thing, you spend 
50% of your energy um, describing that new thing as a sure bet and then you spend the other 50% of your time um, justifying that it wasn't actually a failure <laughs> and that it did that it did succeed um, and the success part is actually really tiny and if you contrast that with with startups startups kind of kick the door in and go hey our success rate is really tiny but what we're going to do is we're going to we're just going to say that we're going to declare that up front because that's the vc you know that's the maths of, of venture uh, so you know that's that's okay it's a safe statement somehow but then it's like if you're a really good startup it's like let's do stuff really really fast let's iterate really really quickly and let's make those those iteration loops and the learn loops really really tight and and then we can try to build something successful and it just seems so different than the former one and i know i know i'm sort of exaggerating quite a lot actually but um any thoughts on that yeah it's an interesting way of looking at it um I mean, 100% agree on what, what, how startups behave. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> but um, on the corporate side, I'm not sure if it's only the fact that you need to kind of make it look like a success, whether it is or not. I think there's also a lot about, you know, just the individuals working in corporates. For someone taking on or in their kind of, you know, having budget and giving that to a startup to test this product, um, is a not quite as much of a kind of big undertaking as it is from the startup's um, perspective. And I think the way to encourage that probably on a corporate, um, um, in a corporate perspective is to find a way to incentivize these people. And it's probably mm. not going to be by saying it has to be a success. <laughs> it's probably going to be by saying test as many things as you can um, and yes, some of them will fail, but that way we will find a better one or best one. And I don't know if, or, you know, if that's how it looks internally or not, but for me, I think that would be the ideal way of looking at it. Uh, that, that is a pretty good idea, but if I, if I might be cynical for a moment, I mean, to, to your point, Stephen, there, there isn't a power law for your corporate career progression, right? And that, that's essentially the problem, right? There is you know that that is not a good strategy <laughs> to undertake to go to get your promotion to to VP. So so that that, that behavior Why is not, not incentivized. It. Exactly. Well, it just isn't. Why not? They're not going. They're not going <laughs> to give you ten percent of Boeing for your for a good idea. And, no, but and yeah, that's a, I, I, I'm trying to advocate, I guess, for some kind of sandboxing off and saying like within this kind of zone, like let's try and start upify. Let's try and work like that. Let's try and VCFI. Let's try and understand that risk like that. So make it a small thing. Um, and I, I'm really interested. That's why I'm so interested in what you're doing, Gabby. <laughs> you know, to, 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 to culturally try and hit that message home that says, look, we're going to do a bunch of stuff. Like, so, for example, what you just mentioned, Gabby, your metric of, you know, I would like to, build, you know, I'm going to paraphrase here, but you were basically saying maybe building an incentive um, structure around risk, not risk taking, but activity like doing lots of stuff going for stuff is you know is, is a way forward and i think um i don't know if they still do that but I, th I think google did that at some point um to you know to try and just say you know this is the kind of culture we need to we need to create and, and i find that i find it really interesting matt and i, and I think it's also it's not it's not kind of wishy-washy or like you can put proper hardcore KPIs around that and you can measure the hell out of that you know you can you can really build milestones and accountability and you know be like a VC I mean VCs know a bunch of stuff's not going to work but they're not just going to let it slide <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a you know there's a whole thing of, of you know building structure around it and I, I just think that would be be be, be really interesting to do and I, I, yeah so I, I agree I, and to be honest I, I think it's a it's a genuinely really good idea to focus on the iteration count and nothing else and, and just make it that like, go for go for that here here's look i, I don't i don't want to be like a mr cheerleader for for elon musk by any manner <laughs> means right but you know you can't deny in heavy industry like i was watching a really genuinely terrible uh presentation by spacex the other day on on star on starship um their their, their big thing that's going to fire off to, to mars and anyway Long story short, right? He was asked a question about when are they going to get this thing into 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 space with people on it, 
<laughs> and he, he did the maths and he said, well, you know, each one of these things has like 37 rockets on it. And we currently make a rocket every once every two weeks, right? So already that's absolutely incredible. And he said, you know, but we need to get that down to two days and eventually we need to be producing a rocket a day. Uh, and you can just do the math. We'll probably need like 100 vehicles. So blah, blah, blah. So that's, we need to be making 700. So the answer is uh, six months, right? Th that type of approach is completely like different it's just it's just it's just solidly different than what will emerge from an incumbent um, player I, I, and i'm not i'm not dunking on the incumbents here i just i find it very difficult maybe it's because they can't afford to to make up as big a mess as, as he can or he doesn't care about but like how do you how do you cross that that bridge because that's just a whole other level of of iterative thinking yeah, I mean, it's a difficult um, comparison to some degree because I don't know how many rockets have been, um, you know, tested without the risk of harming any humans before they were even, um, you know, put into service. Um, when we talk about aerospace, it's just safety is just such a big, big, big and important um, element for all of us, <laughs> I, I would agree. Absolutely. Um, God, so yeah. part of the, the rigidity and part of the barriers, I think, probably should stay in place. But I do, I do agree there should be more of, you know, like um, Stephen said, you know, sandboxes and things like that to make testing and make innovating in that space a little bit easier. Um, will they ever get to that degree of, you know, rapid innovation and iteration? I don't know. I don't know. But also, that's just a bit crazy, isn't it? <laughs> really? <laughs> it is. Maybe, maybe that is the way to go forward, though. I. The, the the longer I think about this stuff and the more conversations I have, the more I, I probably detect some weird bias in myself of somehow defending incumbents. <laughs> I don't know why. But um, I, I think m maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's the, the, the out there crazy R&D stuff that needs to be unleashed a little bit and needs to be a little bit more risky. You know, goes to the startups, goes to the scale-ups, and the, the execution on the more tried and tested and more slow paced there's, there's there's a total you know there's loads of parts of our lives where we need to be slow paced right there's just loads this can't just all be super fast that's maybe where the incumbents hang out and if they do that via being a customer um or by being an investor you know i, th I think that's super interesting yeah I also think a lot about, um, and that's not an area of expertise, I think, for us in the program, but our um, program hosts, the ATI, work a lot in that space. If you think of um, kind of the um, Avital, um, you know, air taxis um, to kind of support the sustainability agenda, that to me, you know, is starting to feel a lot more like yeah. what someone like Elon Musk is talking about. And yeah, yeah, it's slower, yes, but... I'm seeing a lot and lot more funding um, go into really, really interesting projects in that space to speed it up and really, really make a difference here. And I think um, it all, again has to do with the, with the sustainability goal. So maybe, you know, the way to speed it up and the way to get incumbents to work faster and really, really commit to innovation are these kind of um, really, really hard hard goals i guess um because it seems to be working in some way yeah like, like close close your ears for a minute gabby i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna rant and <laughs> and then but look what's the what's the point of the uk's industrial strategy right i mean if you think about it you know let, let's just talk about aerospace i mean we were heavily involved in creating and this is going to sound terrible i just it's, it's going, i'm going to make a point we were involved in in, in, in creating you know the the first um you know, to, to create Concorde, supersonic uh, planes, right? And and that was a kind of period where we, it felt like we did things like that. And now, you know, is the industrial policy of the UK to create, you know, you know, a, a SpaceX or a Boom, right? You know, Boom, like the, a startup that's creating supersonic passenger airplanes in America. As a, as a startup, you know, is that is that the point of the UK industrial policy? Or is the point of the UK industrial policy to find enough innovation to keep the incumbents relevant for another X number of years. Now, I'm genuinely not being cynical there because you've got to look at the context of British manufacturing, right? I mean, in the 1970s, it was like 27% or something uh, of the economy and that, and it declined. It just went like down to 10%. And it's kind of, it's halted at this 10% level. 
and it's kind of sort of stayed there. But is our goal to kind of create the future, or is it to just um, is it to just keep things going because it's it's important. And if you don't reinvent yourself to some extent, there'll be nothing there, right? It'll go down from ten percent to zero. So I mean, you know, apologies. That sounds. I'm not. I'm def- genuinely not making a political point. I'm certainly not trying to be a, a downer on it. But like, what what are we trying to achieve with the industrial strategy in this country, Stephen? That that might put Gabby in a difficult position. But Stephen, give give us give us your uplifting answer to that. <laughs> no, I do, no, I, 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 I look. I'm I'm super happy that that incumbents are building venture teams and that so point one they're building venture teams point two they are looking at risk in a different way and they're reaching out to startups that makes me really really happy point three they've got people like gabby running that stuff that it's not that it's an external hire um point four that it's there it's a group of them doing it they're not doing it in isolation there's some kind of coming together point five for me gabby i don't know if this is happening is that you know hopefully they're looking at other industry verticals seeing how people did that there um and then just iterate right that, that that that's all it is and if if that there'll be a whole bunch of unintended consequences right there'll be some incumbents will die some will thrive some startups you know lots of startups will die some of those will thrive and i think we'll just have a, a new composition of what the pie chart of you know gdp is for the country somehow but i i, I look at this stuff and think it's super positive um because I think it, I, again, I'm just old and weird now, but I, I do think there's a point to it not just being all lots of brand new things. It's good to have a mixture of incumbents um, looking to, because in future we'll just need playbooks of, for you know, transformation and for persistence and all of those things. It can't just be like a brand new, brand new, brand new. I, again, maybe I'm just too European and too centrist or whatever. But I, but I think those things are important. Yeah, here's here's a here's a concrete question for you, right? So that you, uh, and industrial centres used to be off off its place, off off the place they were in. We talked about this, like Sheffield making um, you know cutlery or whatever it was, steel, I guess. Um, and you know, I, I had a look at this because um, I was trying to find what's a good example of a, a, an industrial place that, that doesn't know how to that doesn't know how to exist now doesn't have an identity and, and I'm leading to the question like can we you know is innovation or industrial innovation off a place now or is it not so the one that I came up with is Scunthorpe right so Scunthorpe's motto you like this Stephen right it's it's refugiet labores nostros coelum which is that the heavens reflect our labors meaning that the the glow in the sky from the from the steel furnaces right and they they I mean it's like a town of like eighty thousand or something like that and in the sixties twenty thousand of those eighty thousand worked in the steelworks now what's the future of a place like Scunthorpe and is industrial policy's job to find innovative solutions to reinvent Scunthorpe as an industrial centre of of the 21st century? Or or is it not? There we go, Gabby. <laughs> What's the answer to that question? You're saying that question. There was like seven questions in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm really excited about um, seeing, and I don't know, Scumford? What did you say? What Scunthorpe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if we think of, you know, um, some of the maybe slightly bigger but still very industrial cities, um, whether that's Sheffield or maybe even, you know, your Newcastle or, you know, things like that. Um, we, um, before with, with Ignite, we have been um, running programs all over the UK. And one thing I noticed while um, living in Newcastle for a while, for example, is actually how incredibly valuable, you know, the fact that there is five universities, the fact that they have just, you know, opened the, um, I think it's called the National Centre for Aging, um, which, you know, is huge. And, and you know, for, for me, my previous startup was in, in health tech with people with dementia and their families and carers. So, um, you know, emerging technologies for aging, very, very exciting. And I remember um, the centre opening while I was in Newcastle and talking to lots and lots of um, investors in London as well, who actually said, <coughs> you know what, I wouldn't have really been that interested to come to events, but now that there is something that is really, really like a um, point of expertise that the region has built for itself, I'm actually quite excited to go and meet investors and people around that because that's, you know, that seems to be 
now a really, really good place for that. And I think the same, you know, could happen in other cities. So really building ecosystems and struct support structures um, um, around the expertise you have in the region is probably the key. So in the aerospace um, area, you know, in Sheffield, there is the AMRC, um, the Advanced Manufacturing Research Center. So that's basically, you know, one of these centers where um, you have um, lots and lots of, um, you know, startups and also bigger corporates working together to innovate, um, run by Sheffield University, I think. Um, yeah, 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 no, it is, yeah, for sure. And, and in fact, you know, Sheffield University is one of the top UK uh, institutions for engineering research income and, and investment. So, I mean, that is a success. That is a kind of like pointed top-down um, let's make Sheffield the uh, engineering research place in in the, in the UK and, and 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 reinvent it. But you know, Steve, Steve <laughs> you like this, Gabby? Stephen was asking the question when we talked about this before. What what poetry will they have in Sheffield in the future? What songs will they will they sing? So so so, are you a believer in this, Stephen? Are you a believer in top down singing about engineering research in twenty years in, in Sheffield? Oh, so sorry, Gabby. This is uh, where we no, jump the shark. Okay. Um, no, so it, it just struck me that before the digital world came about, there were lots of different locations that were well known for, you know, we didn't have the word ecosystem then, but they were well known for a, a particular flavor of productivity, right? Be it steel or, or, or carpets or shoes or newspaper printing or whatever it may be. And as those places built those kind of cultures around them, they created their own poetry. And that's genuinely the case. Like, you know, music would come from, and it's a very British thing, frankly, as well. That, you know, that's why, you know, you get bands from Liverpool and Glasgow and all that kind of stuff, Manchester, that would, be, you know, be world, you know, like world renowned. And they would they would transcend their borders and, and take a kind of very specific way of singing or talking about something that would be, you know, universal in its appeal, but very specific in its you know, if you look at like Motown music from Detroit or whatever, so it's it's not a frivolous point. Um, the I get I guess we have the the opportunity to build just as you as you did detailed like new centers of X right in different in different places, and I think that um, accelerator programs or you know I don't know what to call these things frankly. Um, you Support know, some structures. kind of well, yeah, I mean, some kind of institution that that brings together incumbent industry, startups, academia, and capital, and says, we're going to put them all together and, and we're going to be located in this place. And, and you've, you said it on the, on the opening of when you were describing what you're doing. It's not just about then being slavishly stuck to that one vertical. You can start to say, hey, we'll bring in startups at least for sure, who maybe started off in, you know, X and then pivoted to Y, you know, started off in uh, oil and gas, I think your example was, and then they're now they're trying to sell to, to, to aerospace. So, so there's that, that whole thing. Um, and I guess it's just the internet overlaid on top of everything that means places are kind of virtual, actual hybrids notion anyway. Um, and so there'll be brand new songs and we'll all listen to, you know, Korean boy bands or whatever it is um, you know there's all there's all sorts of uh, of, 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 of different ways of, of, of pushing this I think Matt your dissatisfaction with the articulation of a strategy plan is maybe that that top-down thing doesn't really work as it used to it might still be successful in Sheffield and etc there might be still examples but I think we're groping around for a new a new model a new way of doing stuff and I think, you know, what what Gabby's building is, is an example of how, how that can how that could work. I think um, that's true, but to some degree, it might not just be a new model. It might just be that there's some pieces of the puzzle still missing. Um, you touched on this when you were talking a little bit. Um, so it's great to be engaging all of these different players and having a center for it. But then if we, for example, look at universities, actually putting the work in to make sure they know how to deal with spin-outs and, and how to support entrepreneurial endeavours um, is a kind of whole separate piece of work that needs mm. to be do, done to make sure it actually leads to those successes. And then you also mentioned mm. capital. I mean, that's obviously a really big one. But, you know, having routes to funding for those companies, whether that's through, you know, having communities of angel investors, of funds, also, you know, got good signposting for grant funding, um, you know, equity-free funding options. 
all of these things need to sort of be there or be implemented for the whole thing to work. Um, just getting everyone together in one place isn't quite, you know, achieving at the end result we want. I, I totally agree with you. My, 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 my crazy obsession is to articulate, I'm a big believer that there's a missing institution. Mm, <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's a thing missing um, and I would love to experiment with that. Um, Matt and I just uh, last week we we spoke to um, Brad Feld from TechStars. We I, I tried to answer that to ask that question. I was a little bit shy about it, um, and I thought he would have some you know deep kind of cool insight. And he's like, Stephen, just experiment, try it. Sounds good. It might work. <laughs> you know, and, just and, set something you know, up. That's yeah, sounds, that he's, sounds he's like just, Brad Feld. He, yeah, he's totally, but he's totally right. Right, he's just he's just right. And by I. I, I because I think I agree with you and all, all everything you just said. Um, you know, universities by and large don't really know how to do it. Uh, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, what's the institution that has this kind of conversation with people? Where, where again, they, and this is where I'm going to hold back to my <laughs> earlier thing, where they're not trying to pretend it's all awesome, where they are trying to, you know, with some kind of vulnerability, say, we don't really. You know, we've never really done this before. <laughs> we we should iterate on it. But Gabby, my the way I always try and express this to people is if you watch like really well known, well loved um TV series, the first two episodes are always terrible. They're just terrible. Uh, and they get really good over time. But the first, you know, if you watch Friends or something like that, it was you know, they're they're rubbish at the beginning. And it just takes time for things to get good. But if you always have to go to the commissioner who's going to let you give you some money to build a new series and you say, no, this is totally brilliant. I know exactly who the characters are. I know who the funny person is. I know what the jokes are going to be and it's just going to be brilliant. Life just doesn't happen like that. And that's why I'm, I'm just worried that we spend so much energy pretending it's all awesome on the beginning and then we spend the other part of the energy pretending it was awesome. <laughs> um, and so that that's the bit I'm, I'm obsessed with. It, is there space for... Uh, an institution that can help that communication moment and say, you know, this is what good looks like for you guys, for you guys, you guys, and we can tie together the the, the, the ecosystem. I, I mean, the, the, the challenge is, right, and this this is the same challenge that's in energy. I remember you and I had a conversation about this, Stephen, where we were comparing um, a company like uh, Foursquare that had uh, had its moment in the sun and then and then disappeared and and if you'd had to build like physical infrastructure around uh, Foursquare, you know, uh, and it w the, the the world would be littered <laughs> with bits of rotting hardware <laughs> that nobody kind of wanted. So it's e it's easy to do these iterations in in bits and and hard to do these iterations in atoms. Um, that that's challenge number one. And the second challenge is that, you know, our our historical industrial um kind of um, makeup has been 20,000 people work in factories in Scunthorpe. And I, I don't think there is a digital equivalent of, of that, but the state has to kind of think about how it solves that problem. So it's all well and good to say, let's iterate, you know, let, 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 let's iterate quickly around, you know, around atoms and around factories full of a thousand people. But what that that that's not a thing, right? That that's that's an that's an end game situation where you've gone through a lot of iteration and then you produce that. So it's it's a it's a challenging environment to to iterate around. I think we don't know how to iterate around hardware. Um, one of the big things I wanted to ask you today, Gabby, was you know how, what other playbooks and you you know that was one of the first questions. <laughs> your your face was just like nope, um, and 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 so what? We just don't have them. Right, we just don't have them. No one's done it yet. We'll just have to. We'll just have to have a go, and um, and trying that is a kind of necessary. I mean, look at the normalization of what is necessary. So, if you think about, say, oil and gas, even two or three years ago, if you spoke to oil and gas, they would say, you know, we're resolutely kind of ugh, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but they, they would kind of say, yeah, yeah, we're oil and gas. If I talk to an oil and gas company now. They'll say, no, 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 we're an energy company and we're really interested in nuclear fusion and, and uh, windmills are amazing. And uh, all. So, so all of that change did come about. It was, you know, cultural. It was, there was external, you know, big, big events, um, et cetera. But there's loads of opportunity there. Like there's loads of opportunity to create jobs around uh, building new ways of, of, of getting energy. They don't all have to work. 
I was talking to so this is this is really true. I was talking to someone um, who runs a company that that um, builds uh, wind power on flotation devices, and um, and they were saying how hard it was culturally to convince engineers that building stuff on the surface of the ocean is as hard and as rewarding as it is building stuff on the the bottom of the ocean, and it's just. That that kind of amazes me that we humans. I'm not really not having a go at anyone. I would, I would probably be the same. How set in our ways we are, and and what we think is acceptable to our own sense of identity of what we what's a good thing or or a good use of our time, and how resistant we are to change. But if you step out from that, you can't. I mean, we just maybe have to do a better sales job or something. It's, I think it's not easy, but it's like. It's a great opportunity to, to start to explain to people how cool it is to build stuff on the surface of the ocean. Like that's surely, surely a cool thing. Um, I just think that we're maybe at the beginning of that that thing, and I think venture teams and all that kind of stuff is just. That's why I'm so bullish on that just being new. I think it's just emergent. I just don't think we have the the language yet for it. But I'm I'm kind of upbeat. I think a lot of that stuff's going to stick, um, and will create new jobs. Yeah, it took me a while to kind of get my thoughts on this now, but um, I agree, I agree, and I'm definitely positive as well. Um, I think what was interesting for me to um, see this year is how, you know, if you look at an industry like aerospace or any industry that, you know, is very traditional and hard to get into for a startup, you know, again, oil and gas as well and others. Um, I remember basically startups, um, seeing startup pitches and startups talking about, you know, how the status quo needs changing, how, you know, the status quo of how the industry works. And then COVID happened and suddenly there wasn't a status quo. Suddenly there was, you know, whatever that was. (laughs) Yeah, what status quo? (laughs) (laughs) Which, which, you know, I think opened up a lot, you know, to, to, to these more, innovative and more crazy ideas which i think is really really exciting and it's it's a it's a it's a step in the right direction i think um i've seen a lot of great innovation happen in the uk in different industries throughout the years and i think i would definitely describe the uk as a very innovative um um, country um i think there needs to be more work done the step further before we actually reach you know the point that you've been talking about steve around creating jobs the whole commercial commercialization point um, yeah. that's, I think, where a lot of this is still really struggling, whether that's programs or other, you know, um, support structures, that's where we yeah. need to do a lot more work to actually get those companies, you know, to a point where they can compete on a more global scale. Yeah. Um, but that's a challenge that excites me. <laughs> I'm not too negative about it, <laughs> yeah. but that's maybe just because I also come from a startup background. We're all a bit crazy, you know, <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> Just reflecting on that, right? Here's my epiphany throughout the course of this uh, conversation. When I read that uh, Andreessen essay, "It's Time to Build," uh, I kind of I took that as a kind of call to arms, as and almost like a bit of a moan. Like, aren't aren't haven't we been rubbish so far? We need to we need to kind of get you know a boot up our backside and do something. But through the course of the conversation, another way to look at this is it's a moment in time where the appetite for doing things rapidly has become wide open and this is the time to do something and if we don't do it now there's no better time than there's ever been people whether it's aerospace whether it's oil and gas whether it's industries impacted by covid all the rest of it Right now, lots of industries are saying, "Okay, right, we'll do something new, and we'll do it quickly." And and this this is the moment. So, so there you go. I've transformed. I'm optimistic too. Let's all <laughs> <laughs> let's all virtually. Well, it took us an hour. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, not, normally I'm the pessimistic guy, but I don't know what's happened to me today. Um, no, I, I I think you're right, um, and I think I, I listened to um, Mark Andreessen talk about that essay just very recently, and when I when I first read it. I, I almost kind of, I remember I read it and told you about it, Matt, and I said, hey, it's called Let's Build or something like that. So I, I put an imperative, a call to action in the title that's not there, right? It's a, it's more of a, you know, this is how I see the world. Um, 
But actually, when he described himself the other day, he all, he did the same thing. <laughs> he misnamed it and and kind of said, "Oh, it's like yeah, it was a, definitely a call to call to action." Um, so I think you're right. I think it's it's both. It's describing the status quo and from that saying, actually, that's a tacit call to action. It just can't go on like this. We need to do do a whole bunch of stuff. And I think um, what you're building, Gabby, what what Boeing are doing, what Rolls Royce, what all these different partners are doing. Um, and what the, the the authority around that in that space is doing, um, I think those things are great, and I think we need more of them. And I think as they as they come up, each of them have to talk to each other as well. Um, well, I think I think that would be would be super cool. Yeah, and um, actually now thinking about it, so wasn't one of the big points as well? I think Matt, you mentioned it in the blog post, basically that we need to want to really change things. Yeah. Um, and I now thought back about the story I told you about GKN Aerospace and um, the ventilators challenge. I think that's such a good example of a moment where, you know, a big corporate decides they really want, obviously, want to help, you know, the country to tackle this virus and, and save people's lives. And, you know, suddenly you, you, you do that in a matter of days and weeks. Yeah, fantastic. Listen. We have the same moment uh, in terms of um, sustainability. So if people if people want <laughs> to 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 get, catch that moment and and make a difference in aerospace, um, then I, I guess the the accelerator program that you're involved in is is the place to, to to look. So so tell us, Gabby. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to get in touch with you, what's what's the best way to to get hold of you? Where, where can we find you on internet? You can find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to have a chat um, with anyone interested in the program or founders that need some advice on where to go next. Um, also have a look at our website you get all the information about the upcoming program and and our last program as well um, in case you you know want to see um, if you could apply for the future ones and um, yeah otherwise fingers crossed for all those companies that are still in the application process trying to make it to the final 10 (laughs) (laughs) wish them luck (laughs) great great so we'll we'll put all those all those details in the show notes and Gabby, thank you so much for being here today. This is this is an absolute pleasure talking to you, and um, all the best for the program. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it, guys. No worries. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Startup Application. If you have any feedback, you can contact us at startupapplication.fm/feedback. And if you want to support the show, please consider writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a small thing you can do, but it really helps other people find the show. Special thanks to Ollie Littlejohn who edited and produced today's episode and to Stephen Coleman who wrote and performed our music.